in the 20 hours of peyote, I came face to face with Grandfather Peyote and I simply asked him, I said, how can I make my 60 to 70 years really count? You know, I, I want to really make it count. I'm having tea and fresh bread in an outdoor kitchen in Oaxaca City. The garden walls are dense with vines and the morning sun, diffused through the corrugated plastic roof, sparkles off of pots and pans and white tiled ceramic countertops. My host goes by the name Chenuve. It's a Zapotec word, referring both to clouds and to change. Chenuve is describing an experience she had many years ago with peyote, a hallucinogenic cactus, in which the spirit of the plant told her that in order to make the most of her life, she needed to build a community of healers. And I said, oh yeah, I'm into this. I can do this. I can dedicate my next 10 years to this, yes. <laughs> Okay, so that was the, 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 the most abstract beginning of it. I am a certified neuromuscular therapist, but it's more than that. Healing is about wanting to be healed. This is something I saw since childhood, working with other healers, with other shamans. You know, they would say, so why should I heal you? Though she goes by a Zapotec name and practices mushroom healing indigenous to the mountains of Oaxaca, Chenuve is not Mexican. She grew up splitting her time between New Jersey and Alaska and first came to Mexico in the mid-80s to study. I am not a traditional healer by race, exactly, but there are traditional healers in all races. I'm 20% Taino. Okay, so it's not like, you know, I don't have any native blood, obviously, but I also have Afro-American blood. I also have Spanish and, I, you know, it's all in my genes, right? What is sacred is maintaining this balance and receiving what the universe sends to you, even if it's uncomfortable. <laughs> During the pandemic, Chenuve was handed something pretty uncomfortable. I should mention that in addition to being a massage therapist and now a psilocybin mushroom healer, she's also a professional psychic. She was doing a psychic reading for a client and got to telling them about her peyote experience. The next day she called me back and she said, I just met somebody on a dating app who's in Panama who um, wants to come to Oaxaca to start a healing center. He's a businessman, should I connect you? And I said, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Well, that's how it started. He started sending me all kinds of information about mushrooms. All of it was focused on psilocybin. And he's been really moved to create a center, a very elite center for mushroom therapies. And he wanted to come to Oaxaca to do it here. Months went by before I met him. So I read all the research and it's logical, it's convincing, and I felt this is something I'm very interested in. He came to Oaxaca and he tried to convince me that we should do it in San Jose del Pacifico. He was pretty much convinced that I should run it. San Jose del Pacifico is a small village high in the mountains, about a three or four hour colectivo ride from Oaxaca City. Mushrooms are legal there, because they've been used by the Zapotec people for centuries in healing rituals. 
Chenuve was opposed to the idea of starting an elite clinic for foreigners in a small Zapotec village. John kept pushing, inviting her to look at properties and talk business. He insisted that the healing center had to be in San Jose because that's where the mushrooms are. And I said, this doesn't check for me, you know. Mushrooms can be outsourced. He wasn't listening. And I knew he wasn't listening. And I just felt like I don't really want to work with him. So I didn't. John continued for several weeks to try to persuade Chenuve, but she didn't budge. Eventually, he gave up and decided to look for a location further south. He went to the state of Chiapas, ignoring the fact that the region was in the middle of a COVID surge. So I said, okay, he's going to do what he wants to do, obviously. A week goes by, two weeks go by, I think three weeks went by, and he called me and he said he's really sick and he doesn't know what to do. Chenuve texted John the address of a hospital and told him to get there right away. She didn't hear back and she assumed that he was being cared for. A few days later, John calls. He's 600 miles from Chiapas. He's in Mexico City. He tells her that he has a flight scheduled back to the U.S., but that he can't breathe, and he's scared. Chenuve texted him the address of another hospital and called back later to make sure he got there. She kept calling, and he didn't pick up. Eventually, she did get a call, but it's from an ambulance paramedic. John had been found on the side of the road, and it was pretty clear that he had COVID. He was disoriented and had given the paramedics Chenuve's phone number as his emergency contact. And at the hospital, the social worker called and asked if I was a relative, and I said, no, I barely know the man. John was in critical condition when he arrived and was put on oxygen immediately. Two days later, he called and begged Chenuve to get him out of the hospital. He was angry and belligerent and didn't understand what the doctors were saying. Chenuve got on the phone with the doctor, and it turns out that 86% of John's lungs had been destroyed, and the medical team was preparing to put him on a ventilator. The next day was when he sent me a video, and he said he names me his advocate in his health care, and he said, please get here. I need somebody on my side. He was put on the ventilator when I got to Mexico City. I thought I would get a chance to talk to him, but he was in an induced coma, so there was no way. I never got a chance to speak to him. In that three-week process, all I did was keep saying, John, remember life, stick to life, get through this, be strong, fight. He doesn't get better, he doesn't get worse. After three weeks on the ventilator, you lose the ability to speak and swallow. So then it has to be put into the trachea. So that day when the doctor called for the report, she says, yeah, this morning we were all talking that we're gonna have to do a tracheotomy this week. So I said, tell me honestly, if there were a miracle and he was gonna walk out of there, how would he walk out of there? And she said, with that kind of damage, he'll probably need oxygen all his life and maybe the ventilator for most of the time. And this is a man who now I understood was an athlete, hiked volcanoes, 
you know, and I asked the social worker, I said, can I make an audio and will you play it several times a day for John? And she said, yes. And I laid it out. I said, John, I didn't know this before, but I do now. And in a day or so, they're going to do a tracheotomy to keep you going. But you need to know the kind of life you're going to have. You're not going to be an athlete anymore. You're going to need an oxygen tank just to stay alive. And you may need the ventilator part of that time too. And the 86% damage in the lungs has major lungs tissue paper. They can't transfer oxygen. So if this is a life that you're willing to accept, then fight like hell and get out of that hospital. And if it's not, then fight like hell to die. You know? So the social worker told me she played it several times for him. And that night, the doctors were calling me up. His blood pressure is going up. He's having arrhythmias. And it looks like his kidneys are starting to fail. And I said, don't do anything. He is ready to move on. And they said, no, no, we have to keep him alive. I called the embassy. I got an agent who said, there's no euthanasia in Mexico. They will keep him alive. And I did another audio. And, um, and I said, John, I got your message. I know what you want, but we're in Mexico, and there's no euthanasia, and they're going to keep you alive. So you have to be stronger than they are. And that night he died. The little I really knew about him was so much deeper than I realized. And these are the kind of experiences that, you know, I always think, oh, life is so humbling, you know? I didn't know why I got thrown into this. And I thought, what's the connection? I was the only person in all the time that this man was visiting Oaxaca that he could reach out to. And this is the story that he's created for me, you know? And I think, what can I do with this? I got back and and I was I was even grieving, you know? I mean, it was it was, it was a very complex situation. And I was talking with a client who I told a story to. And she said, I'm microdosing. You know, I said, you are? Huh. Where do you get your product? You know, and she told me. And then it turned out it was somebody I knew. <laughs> so I got in contact with the person and He's preparing the best product. You know, everything is perfect. So when I do a mushroom journey for my clients, I always thank John. As I left, I thanked Genuve for the tea and the conversation and I waved goodbye to her one last time from across the cobble street. In my mind, she is framed in the center of the iron gate in front of the purple house, smiling in the afternoon sun, 
still waiting for her community of healers. <laughs>